Oh my God, I'm chilling. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? I said she'll be great when we started recording because Rebecca's very nervous about this baby and her state of mind with a newborn. I've already cried She has a toddler already. I don't remember that stage though. It's too much of a blur. You'll get through it. You'll be great. I kind of remember you working on Twinks like three weeks in and I'm like, I've already cried today looking back at my, because having my firstborn was such was so hard that I started logging every time he ate. And I was like, all right, let me see what four weeks in was like with Britain. So I went back and I'm like, I was still getting up every two hours. Like we're preparing a bunch of recordings so we don't have to take a break for my having this baby. As you know, we've say, stated, I swear I won't continue talking about this, but I've gotten through September's recordings and I'm like, okay, that should be a good buffer. But now that I've gone back to look at where Britain was in the first four weeks, I'm like, oh shit, I need to prepare October's too. So Ugh, I'm getting just, overwhelmed and I'm I know, but the uh, relaxation is key. Don't stress. I feel like people are loyal enough that they'll, they won't forget about us if we have to take a break. And I'm preparing Do too. <laughs> Do, right. Do y'all Back swear? Me up. Back me up. <laughs> I'm preparing too. If I have to sit there and talk to your sleeping body, <laughs> tell you a story, then I'll do that. And I'll carry the conversation just like I do every week. What's the difference? What's the difference? And then you'll get to the end of the story and I'll be like, when are you starting? What, <laughs> what year is it again? <laughs> that could, we could really change the name of this podcast. So, wait, sorry. What, what year is it again? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like we ask that every time. <laughs> it's my favorite. Yeah, I'm sure it's a lot of people's favorite. <laughs> Y'all love that, right? Right. <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> okay, wait, well, sorry. What year is it again? <laughs> <laughs> we really do. No, I know. It'll be fine no matter what because... We hope that people wouldn't ditch us for a little small, tiny ass maternity to leave. Although I'm still pushing to not have this done. It would just be so nice to when waking up at every fucking 30 minutes of the first two months of a newborn to know that the podcast is rolling on its own. The episodes are scheduled. I don't have to do a thing. It would really help me relax. I think we're doing great. I know. I know. I'm. You, you especially. I know. Because I'm tired. It's making me so nervous. Y'all, have, as you know, we have, we've started typing up Natalie's episode. God, y'all are going to learn so much stuff yeah. you did not know. Just digging back in my mind, my brain, or our brain. Um, yeah. I'm on page 25 of my story, typing it out. And we are in day 10 of Aruba. <laughs> and like, Rebecca's doing 2005 to like, 2007 ish it might spill over into 2008 i'm doing 2008 on Mm -mm. and she and she's on 25 yeah but Um, no i'll i'll help you with the later years i'm just working on the early years and it's just i know that's the hard part because it was so long ago and especially being from mountain brook there was so much that you like forget about that you're not going to read on the on google you're not going to be right and so we've like really racked our brains of like, oh yeah, wasn't this 
a thing that people said happened and then and like verifying if that was a rumor or not you know it's just that's the hardest part so you're killing it no Shout that out. i am killing it that story i am i, I will wow. admit <laughs> wow it's gonna be huge but how many parts is too many parts could yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Could this be? be like all right yeah could this be the month of september's episode the full <laughs> month because to Four give parts. a point of reference our Normal episodes are usually 10 to 15 pages. I'm on page 25, and we are still in the first week of Aruba. Yep. Oh, brother. We have 18 years of this. No, well, no, there was, there was, there was not... like a 10 year gap of no updates. So that's, yeah. yeah. So keep Whew. that in mind. Anyway. Keep that in mind. But my God, yeah, you are going to learn a lot, I think. Uh, and I'm excited to share them. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. Um, next on my topic is Patreon shout outs. And I have a, a follow up thing for patrons that I just learned and it's crazy. Okay. Hey, Jillian, Nicole, Tracy, Christy, Judy, Miranda. Thank y'all for joining Stop. your crushing life. Listen, okay. Patrons, y'all know this. I recently did my bonus episode on the Carr brothers. This was, they terrorized uh, Wichita, the hero of the story was a metal barrette, a hair barrette, if you recall. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what I learned from Bailey, our listener who suggested it. Andrew Schreiber, the first carjacking victim, and Holly G, the, the survivor. badass survivor, are married. That blows my mind. So they met through this tragedy, I'm sure. Oh, God. And got married. That is crazy. Because hey, we both survived murderers, the same murderers. Yeah. And two days separate apart. days apart, two separate circumstances. <gasps> and they found happiness. And each other. Yeah. Isn't that insane? That, so that obviously wasn't any of my sources, but Bailey's a, a Wichita native and she knew that. And then when I Googled more about it, I, I did find it. Ugh, I'm just happy for them. And they that, do not live in Wichita. They're out They're out of there. That is so insane. How long after their tragic events? Uh, I think I want to say early 2000s. That's incredible. Isn't that so? So if, if you've heard that story and you remember it, you know what I'm talking about. If not, y'all go join Patreon and um, you'll know what I'm talking about, too. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Um, okay, I think that's it. The only kind of timely true crime update right now is that Carly Russell admitted she lied about the baby on I-459 in Birmingham, Alabama, and she was not kidnapped. And now so many questions, so many questions. Um, now it's like, is she going to jail? Is she not? They haven't touched on that as of today. So we'll see. It's insane. I can't believe that. I can't believe that either. And the surveillance of her pulling off 459. I'm like, wow, you really... I don't know. Well, she wanted her car found. Yeah, she pulled off. Because I, when I watched that, full four minutes, I was like, A, the cops got there really quickly. B, no one pulled up in front of her. That's why I was confused. Like, I was mm. like, is this not her? No one pulled up. I don't see anyone getting out of the car. It was very dark, though. So I was like, I could just not see that. But that actually did confuse me. And I'll be honest, I'm a little relieved it was a lie. Sure. I don't want someone baiting people using their toddler Walking down the highway to hell of Interstate 459. Oh, I know. Obviously. Yeah, it's way better that there's not an active kidnapper out there using a toddler's bait. That's where I thought it was going. Because there's 
rumors. I'm sure there is in everyone's town, but specifically Atlanta, I've heard a car seat, people leave a car seat, an empty car seat in like a parking spot at a grocery store and yeah. usually wait for women who will, it's most likely women who go check the car seat, make sure a baby's not in it. And that's when they're grabbed and sold into sex slavery type thing. And I have yeah. actually noticed a car seat in a parking lot in Decatur. But I, so I recently terrifying. got told that and I'm like, what? And so then Carly Russell came out and I was like, oh my God, this is similar. So I thought that's where I thought she yeah. was going to be sold or something terrible had happened. But I'm I glad know. it was a lie. Sure. Glad it was a lie. Yeah. you And you hear of uh, people putting recordings outside of doors uh-huh. at night of babies crying. So someone goes out and checks on it. It's like, did someone just put drop a baby off at my house? What's going on? And then you go outside and you're taken. But that, I mean, I don't know if that's an urban legend or something people actually do, but who knows? People are sick, but I'm like, thank God there's not some toddler strolling the interstates because of their asshole adult. Anyway, but I mean, something's going on there and I need to know more information. All right. Now we can get to my story. I'm telling Rebecca about the Whitaker family. Sources, cbsnews.com, a Medium article by Lori Johnston, The Cinemaholic, and ABC News. Trisha and Kent Whitaker met on a blind date in 1975. The two hit it off, got married, and had two sons. Bart was born in 1979. Kevin was born in 1984. They lived in Sugarland, Texas, which is a community outside of Houston. Kent was a successful accountant. Trisha was an elementary school teacher. Growing up, Bart was a good student, described as witty and quirky. He also loved biking, which was a hobby he and his dad shared. They'd like organized biking trips and bonded over that. Kevin was the more sensitive one. His dad described him as a man at a young age. He was like a little man. He was very strong-willed, but quick to forgive. A nice, happy family, and they're pretty well off. In 2001, Bart started school at Baylor University, but eventually transferred to Sam Houston State University. And when he went to Sam Houston State, Trisha and Kemp bought a lakeside townhouse for him to live in. Nice. That was the best in college when your friend's parents had townhouses you could just go to. Right, but it wasn't ever lakeside in Mississippi, I'll tell you. Yeah. And if it was, it'd be on Sardis Lake, and that lake is brown, but it didn't (laughs) stop us. That's right. (laughs) Just saying. On December 10th, 2003, 23-year-old Bart had finished his last final before graduation and the family planned a dinner at Papado, Papado, to celebrate his graduating with honors. Oh. While at dinner, Trisha and Kent gave him a Rolex for his graduation present. Pardon me. I know. $4,000, if you're curious. I was. They got him from dinner around 8.20 p.m. <sighs> what? I can do the math in my head, but I really don't know what year it is. <laughs> Oh my God. I swear to God. He was born in 1979 and it's 22 years later. I'm sure. Is that about right? Yeah. So 2003. (laughs) Oh my God. Lord have mercy on our souls. (laughs) That's right. I'm going to say it one more time. 2003. We're in December, 2003. Gotcha. He did an extra semester. Okay. 19-year-old Kevin drove and was the first one to walk in the house. Trisha was right behind him. Next thing they knew, they heard a huge bang, and Trisha yelled, Oh, no! And there was another big bang. Kevin and Trisha had both been shot in the chest the moment they walked in the house. Ah. Kent ran up to the house, the dad, 
and saw a man in a ski mask standing about eight feet away from him. Initially, he thought it was one of Bart or Kevin's friends playing a prank. But when he felt a bullet hit him in the shoulder, he realized it was not a prank. No. Bart had gone back to the car to get his cell phone. But when he heard it, he ran in the house and a struggle ensued between Bart and the gunman. Bart was shot in the left shoulder and the intruder ran out the back door. Oh, holy shit. Kent called out to Trisha and Kevin to see if they were okay, but all he heard was a few wet coughs from Trisha. There was blood filling up in her lungs, and Kevin just didn't respond. Mm. Their neighbor, Close Stanley, heard the commotion and rushed over. He found Bart and Kevin lying on the living room floor. Bart was hurt. He could tell Bart was very hurt, but Kevin more so. Mm. Kevin was bleeding very badly, so Cliff took off his shirt and used it to try to stop the blood and called 911. Mm Mm-hmm. When dispatchers called Sugarland police to tend to a crime scene like this, they thought it was a joke. Four people shot. What? Dispatcher, <laughs> y'all, dispatchers are not pranksters. No, they shouldn't that's be. what I was about to say. How many people prank? I mean, he. I think in this interview, he said as a reference to their violent crime rate. Sugarland, Texas has very low violent crime. For reference, it's 7.6. The national average today is 7.6. The national average is 22.7. Like, these cops have probably, like, never seen a shooting. <laughs> can, can you imagine if the dispatcher was like, gotcha. Four people shot. Gotcha. It's just some kids underage drinking in the woods. All right. There's something. There are so many directions you can take a prank, and four people shot isn't one of them. Yeah. Cops get there within minutes, and as they're working on Kent outside the house, he's asking about his family and how everyone's doing, and that's when he heard a cop come out of the house and ask another cop, what do you want to do with the DOA? And he said his heart froze. Because as you may or may not know, DOA is dead on arrival. He didn't know who was dead. One of them, all of them, he had no idea. Then he sees a helicopter landing. paramedics told him that they were putting Trisha in a life flight. And he said, he said his heart leaped for joy because that (gasps) meant she was alive. Yeah. But, but then he said his joy was immediately halted when he realized that that meant one or both of his sons was the DOA. Oh, and, and he started going into shock after that. Trisha's life flight took off and another one landed for him. They got to the Houston Medical Center within eight minutes. And when he was in the hospital room, he kept asking about his family. No one would tell him anything. And one of the nurses told him that Bart was on his way to the hospital in an ambulance and would be treated in the same room. And the fact that they weren't working on Kevin or Trisha told him that they didn't make it. And actually, by the time, by this point, his parents had gotten to the hospital and the nurse said that in front of him. And he looked at his parents and was like, he said, I think that means Tr- Trisha and Kevin did not make it. And he looked at the nurse and she nodded. Oh, God. Trisha was pronounced dead at the hospital. Kevin was killed instantly. He didn't yeah. survive at all. Mm. Back at the crime scene, the house is rifled through. Drawers are open and there's a safe upstairs that had been pried open with a crowbar. So they're immediately thinking robbery gone wrong. They found one black glove, four shell casings and a nine millimeter Glock. The person left the murder weapon. Perfect. The Glock had a partial palm print, but it wasn't enough to find a match. They test the glove and the shell casings. None of, neither of them have anything identifiable either. 
The Glock was actually registered to Kent. He stored it in the safe that was pried open. So the intruder came to the house without a gun, stole it while he was there, and then used it to kill them and dropped it in the struggle with him and Bart. Definitely did not mean to drop it. Yeah. Over the next two days, while Kent and Bart are in the hospital waiting to have surgery, visitors just poured in. They said there were literally lines down the hallway of people coming to give condolences, bringing presents. They're a very well-liked family, and this shook Sugarland. More than 1,000 people came to Kevin and Trisha's funerals, and at the time, the entire population was 60,000. So, like, just everyone knew them. We know someone from Sugarland. I wonder if she knew them. Detective Marshall Slot is assigned to the case, and Kent and Bart are eager to talk to him so they can figure out who did this. Detective Slot's asking routine questions. What were we all doing that night? We were celebrating Bart's graduation. They're just, like, walking through the whole thing. He asked if they had any sort of description. The guy was wearing a ski mask and gloves, so difficult to identify. Mm -hmm. But Bart said he thought he was black, and Kent said he thought the skin around his eyes was white. So even harder. Unhelpful. (laughs) Yeah. The following day, Detective Slot got a call from someone at Sam Houston State University who told him that Bart was not going to graduate. Uh oh. In fact, he wasn't even a senior. His current status was freshman on academic probation. Freshman. Wait, so for, first of all, they call Kent and say this? No, they call the detective to say this. Because by then, it's all over the news. This yeah. poor family was gra- was at a graduation dinner celebrating, and someone at same Houston State was like, what? No. <laughs> the detective's like, that's what? not illegal. <laughs> what? <laughs> the detective's like, that's not a crime that he didn't go to class. You're calling the wrong number. You, you, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll give you his father's information, but he probably doesn't want to be bothered with this. Yeah, he probably doesn't care at this point, but you're calling the wrong number. This isn't a crime. <laughs> Report it to someone who cares. Bye. Yeah. I have a murder to investigate. Right. Asshole. <laughs> Apparently, he very rarely attended class, which is illegal. I'm <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Which is a class A felony. <laughs> oh, my God. No, it's not like, funny. It's not funny. All right. You just picture him being like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, this isn't the right number for this. It is when someone's lying during a murder investigation, dog. I know, but it's... Get your facts right. It's just reminds me of, like, a parent telling their kids, like, you better go to class because the cops will come and get you. You You will go to jail if you do not. (laughs) Sorry. All right. So he never went to class. Eventually, he just stopped going and just kind of hung out at the townhouse that his parents bought. Pissing away all the... For three years? Yeah. God. Detective Slot went to Kent to tell him about this huge deception, and Kent was pissed, not only because Bart had been duping them for three-plus years, or however many, but because he had told cops he was graduating, too. So now that they know he was lying, it shifted their focus on him and away from finding the real killer. So Kent was like, okay, thanks, Detective. That's fine. He lied, but he's not the suspect. And Detective Slot told him that they're exploring all possibilities. So when he left Kent's hospital room, Kent got in his wheelchair and rolled down to Bart's room and woke him up and yelled at him. 
He asked him what he was thinking lying about this. And Bart said he was scared to tell them because they were so excited about his graduation. And he figured he could just quietly make up the classes in the following semesters and no one would ever know. I'm like, oh, what? That, I mean, it makes no sense. So Kent tells him that thanks to this lie, now cops are looking at Bart for this murder. And Bart's like, no way. That's insane. Please stop. Right. <laughs> he even threw in that he was graduating with honors. I know. That's what I was thinking. It's again, these liars really going above and beyond. I mean, say subtle. Fly, yeah. Barely making fly under it. the radar. Come on. Magna cum laude, more like magna cum fraud. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> did you, where did you get that? I, I typed it out. Nuh-uh, you came up yeah. with that yourself? Swear to God. Good for you, Rach. Proud of you. I wrote it out even, because I was like, that's funny. That's a good one, yeah. That lands. It lands. Lands. Thank y'all. Six days after the murder, a man named Adam Hope contacted Detective Slot to say that he had some information that was crucial to the investigation. They spoke for three hours, and Adam had an uber interesting story. He and Bart were old friends, and two years prior, in 2001, Bart had asked him to murder his family. What? What's the plan? That now? The plan back then was almost the exact same. Wait, not almost. Sorry. The plan back then was the exact same as what took place a week prior. Hmm. Bart was going to have his roommate at Baylor give Adam the gun, and he asked Adam to hide in the house and shoot each family member as <sighs> they walked through the door. He even instructed to shoot him in the shoulder so he would look like another victim, not a suspect. It's exactly what happened. Oh, my God. When a friend caught wind of this plan, they called the police in 2001, and the police told Trisha and Kent. Are you serious? Yeah. Trisha and Kent confronted Bart about it, and he told him it was a huge misunderstanding. He was That is absolutely not what he was talking about, and they just trusted him. Oh. <gasps> Police cleared Adam Hip of the murder because he had a solid alibi for that night. So they contacted his old roommate from Baylor, Justin Peters, who was supposed to get Adam the gun. Oh, my God. Justin lived in San Antonio and admitted to his part in the plan, which was set to happen in April 2001. And he said the motive behind it was money. Again, the Whitakers were pretty well off. So Bart knew if they were all dead. He stood to inherit like one and a half million dollars. Greedy, greedy, greedy. Justin told him that that was not the first murder plan. Oh my God. Bart, Bart originally recruited his other friend, Will Anthony, to kill his family in December 2000. Dude, stop telling people. Stop recruiting mm -hmm. people. I mean, on a mission. God. That plan was almost executed. The guy went to the house and set the alarm off and ran. <laughs> they were like ready to go. How, oh many of, how many of your friends are willing to shoot your family? This is insane. What What is Baylor like? They, no, the detective notes that during an interview I read, that he's like, it is insane how many people were willing to do this who are like now bankers. One of them was a merit scholar. He was like, these are, all of them are well-to-do families, every single one of them. Well, yeah, because Baylor is actually, isn't it a private, it's expensive. I don't know if it's private, but he was like, it, I cannot believe how many people were willing to do this and they're just like all grade a like students all great it's so crazy a merit scholar was one of them willing to do it holy shit what was bart gonna pay them so all of them were promised a cut of his inheritance yeah they didn't know they weren't really sure 
So Bart's been working on this for years. Had he put this much effort into his studies, we'd be in a different situation, maybe. And what baffles me is how much greed you have when you already, they'll give you everything. They gave you a house to live in. You probably have a credit card you use all the time. Like how bad do you need the 1.1? Yeah. So obviously Bart is number one suspect. I mean, really, there's no question. Yeah, he's an idiot. So even though Adam was the person who brought all this information to him, even though he was cleared for the murder, they did have him on his participation in the, in the April 2001 plan. Mm-hmm. So he lawyers up and they work out a deal where he won't get prosecuted if they if he helps them with their investigation into BART. And he's like, down. Yeah, no problem. So a few months after the murder, now we're in April 2004, Adam calls BART to tell him that the police had contacted him because they're looking back into that April 2001 plan And he records the phone call and Bart tells him that he'll pay him $20,000 to lie to the police about his involvement. Also, so Adam was in the plan for 2001. He had to be what? Freshman, maybe sophomore. So you've only known this guy for a year, maybe two. I don't know if they grew up together. I don't know. Maybe they went to college together. I don't know. All right. Just said they were old friends. Okay. They have a lot. Bart has better friends than I would ever have. And I don't think any of my friends would do this for me. Right. Or he's manipulative as shit. That's just so stupid. I can't imagine. Okay. Keep going. I'm just baffled by this. Yeah. So Bart offers him $20,000 to lie. And I guess as a little hush money up front, he mails him $240. Like that's, (laughs) that secures his hush money. (laughs) 240 bucks. You said twenty thousand. You're sending me two hundred and forty. Yeah, that's not to lie to police. Right. That's not going to work. No. Meanwhile, cops know other people are involved. Obviously, Bart did not pull the trigger, but they knew he was the mastermind behind it. They go to talk to his current roommate, twenty-one-year-old Chris Brasher, and their neighbor Stephen Champagne. Bart, Chris, and Stephen all worked together at the Bentwater Yacht and Country Club, and they were very close. Chris and Stephen denied having anything to do with the murders. They submitted DNA samples and sent specimens for the police department's bloodhounds. And the bloodhounds got a hit of Chris's scent on the gloves, the drawers in Kent and Trisha's bedroom, on the safe, and on the murder weapon. Oh, Chris. Chris. So even though he maintained his innocence, they have a definitive link to Chris being at the crime scene. Well, definitive is iffy. I don't, I don't know. You know, bloodhounds could be wrong, but that's a lot. Uh, Yeah. So they're finally closing in on Bart when in June 2004, seven months after the murders, Bart tells his dad he's going out to a club and he's going to see him the next morning. That was the last time he'd see him for over a year. (gasps) Oh, Bart be running. Is Kent standing by his son in all this? Uh, Yeah, a little. Like he's He's cautiously optimistic. He's it's his last family member left. He's very, oh my God, he's such a sweetheart of a man. He's like very religious. He's like, I know it wasn't him. I know like, and he's just, he really Uh wants to believe, but he was like, I mean, obviously at this point I'm entertaining it, but they came to him being like, wait, I'm sorry. He plotted to murder you two years ago in 2001. And he was like, yeah, but that was a misunderstanding. Like he's just really obviously I think wants to believe that he didn't do it. But after this, what I'm about to talk to you about, yeah, he was like, he definitely did it. Oh. 
Bart's Yukon was found in an apartment complex in southwest Houston with the engine still running, but he had completely disappeared. The manhunt was on, and cops continued to press Stephen Champagne and Chris Brasher, and finally Stephen cracked. He told him that Chris killed the family and Stephen was the getaway driver and Bart was the mastermind, obviously. Oh, my God. He said after the shooting, he and Chris threw a bag of evidence over a bridge at Lake Conroe. Conroe. Divers found the bag and in it was the matching glove to the one that was left of the crime scene. A water bottle that had Chris's DNA on it, which is crazy to me because it was underwater. It was like on the... Um, mouthpiece, like I guess the cap was screwed on tight enough to where water did not get in there. Uh, yeah. Ammunition that matched the ammunition used in the murder weapon, two burner phones that Bart provided them, and uh, the crowbar used to open the safe. The safe had a, like a little blue paint on it, so they knew the crowbar was blue and it matched perfectly. I mean, uh, yeah. nailed it. Stephen and Chris were both arrested in September 2005, but police still had no idea where Bart was. Shortly after their arrest on September 14th, 2005, it had been 14 months since he disappeared. Police got a call from a man named Rudy Rios. Mm -hmm. This man was in Mexico. Rudy heard about the $10,000 reward for information on Bart's whereabouts, and he had also, like Adam, an uber interesting story. Oh, my God. He said that Bart took $7,000 from his from his dad and fled to Soralvo, Mexico, which is a tiny town about 40 miles from the Texas border. Rudy sold Bart his identity for $3,000. So Bart was living in this town as Rudy Rios. Oh my God. He had a new group of friends. He had a new girlfriend named Cindy Lou Salinas. Oh my And who worked at a furniture store that the Salinas family owned. Whole new oh life. Oh my God. How old? He's at what age at this point? Early 20s? 24, 23, 24 by this point. Is he fluent in Spanish, I guess? No, he spoke very little Spanish, but he got, he got by. All right. Um, Bart stole the $10,000 from his own dad or Rudy's dad? No, he stole ten thousand. Oh, he stole seven thousand dollars from his own dad. Okay. There's a ten thousand dollar reward. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. why Rudy's coming forward. Right. Because someone is finally not loyal to Bart. For real. Willing He's to like, follow wait. his plan. Exactly. So now he has this new life. He's working at his girlfriend's family's furniture store. He told Rudy and his new friends that he was an only child and his mom was a sex worker who never loved him. And nobody in his family, in fact, ever loved him. Mm -hmm. He also said that his gunshot wound was from fighting in Afghanistan and he was hiding out (laughs) in Mexico to avoid going back. So he's just an AWOL soldier looking for a break. Mm. The Salinas family, the girlfriend's family, really loved him. They completely took him in as their own son. Oh. As their relationship progressed, he started showing his true side to his girlfriend. The Salinas family was pretty well off, and he told her about how they could steal. She walked in one day, and he was, like, kind of jiggling their safe. Oh, my God. And But he kept the only cash he had left in that safe, but all of their valuables were in the safe, too. And she was like, what are you doing? He was like, I just want to see what's in here. And then mentioned that they could take all their money, all their her family's money and peace out. And she was like, no, but thanks. Thank you so much for offering. (laughs) Another time, Cindy Lou was upset after an argument with her mom and Bart suggested that they kill both their parents. Oh, my God, Bart. You Both are just parents, all, oh, you're a monster. And she's like, 
what's that now she was like oh it was just a little argument thought i was venting to my boyfriend not a psycho right no need to plot it's, some death god his, his answer for everything yeah his answer for everything is just to kill people when cops learned about his whereabouts they worked with the mexican authorities to set bart up on a fake job interview in monterey where he was arrested like walked Perfect. in for an interview <laughs> do, do, do. here's my resume i'm rudy rios <laughs> Oh, Bart. I graduate with honors. I graduate with honors. If you don't give me this job, I'm going to shoot you. So they finally got him. His dad, Kent, went to see him after he got arrested, and he told him how sorry he was for everything. Kent trusts that Bart regrets what he did, and he has wholeheartedly forgiven him. Like, no. Genuinely forgives him, Poor even today. Kent. He is such an angel. He is not remorseful. He clearly he just offered to do the same thing for his girlfriend's parents that's terrible the jury saw it that way too you'll see oh yeah so so kent's on forgiveness train always has been always will be in fact when he learned that the prosecutors were seeking the death penalty he was very vocal about how he did not want that he already lost so much and he doesn't want the state to kill his last surviving family member he says oh my god i know Bart addresses the jury taking full responsibility and tells them how remorseful he was for robbing his family of their lives, including his dad. He said he never felt loved. He couldn't live up to his parents' expectations, but he's still very sorry. And he's, he was a completely different person back then. Bullshit. I'm like, but you planned it several times. And then your girlfriend in Mexico, you wanted to kill her parents too. Right. I don't know. I don't know, Bart. Something's off with you. Yeah. His trial lasts for six days, and at the end, the jury deliberated for just two hours and came back with a guilty verdict, and Bart is sentenced to death. Oh, I thought his, oh, his parents don't get a say? That's kind of... His dad didn't get a say, and his dad... his dad's wishes. His um, mom's siblings came forward being like, do not kill him. Life in prison's great. Do that. They all... Kent was like, we don't want him free. But like life in prison, can I go visit my only oh, surviving family? Then they family should member? have done that. They should have honored his request. One hundred percent, I agree. His execution was scheduled for February twenty second, two thousand eighteen. So Kent fought to have his sentence switched to life for life in prison for over ten years. He oh, had, give he, up to Kent! Oh God, this is crazy. And note throughout this, he's like, "This is Texas. It's not looking good." No. The week before his scheduled execution, he made one final plea, Kent made one final plea to the Texas Board of Pardons and Parole to spare Bart, and they made the recommendation for clemency, but the governor had to approve it. The day of the execution, Mm. Bart had his last meal. Oh, my God. And then 40 minutes before the execution, the governor commutes his sentence to life in prison without the possibility of parole. (gasps) 40 minutes. He had his last meal. What was it? I don't know. I couldn't find it. <gasps> this is why the stories are going to take me for it. Cause I get on that kind of rabbit hole. I'm like, what do you get? I know. Me too. Um, holy shit. Isn't that insane? 40 minutes. He was like about to get on the gurney. <gasps> it was going to be a lethal injection. Yeah, I guess it literally said he was preparing to get on the gurney. Oh my God. I bet that relief. <sighs> was it was, he said he was, at his house he they had said their goodbyes oh my god Kent went back to his house and they were in the middle of the prayer with the whole family when the phone rang and they told him 
Oh, Ken. He is such an angel. Chris oh, Brasher got life in prison with the possibility of parole. He'll be eligible in 2035. Steve Sh Stephen Champagne got 15 years and got paroled in 2015, so he's out. Oh, my God. Kent got remarried and went on to write a book called Murder by Family, The Incredible True Story of a Son's Treachery and a Father's Forgiveness. Oh, my God, Kent. Bart's still alive. He did not get executed. He's in prison for life, and he's been actually very, very vocal about the conditions of the Texas, of Texas death row and solitary confinement. Apparently, it's horrible. Um, here's my questions. Here are my yeah. questions. Well, no, it's just one question and one comment. How could Chris drop the gun when he's roughhousing with Bart? Like, just pick it up and leave. Bart, no, I mean, uh, how did yeah. y'all not finish that part of the plan? Why did you I, leave it? it was I only, think, that is well, stupidest. more on that, he accidentally grabbed his cell phone, Bart's cell phone. But I couldn't find, like, how he got it back, when he got it back. What do you mean he acts and like ran when he's running? Yeah. And the struggle, I think they tried to make it look as realistic as possible in case someone was still alive. Um, they got into it. I guess he accidentally dropped, Bart dropped his phone. Uh, Chris dropped the gun. And in the chaos, he grabbed the phone and ran. He did not mean to grab that, obviously. But, but I don't know like, how he got it back. I don't know how that, any of that. You would just it, think that someone, even Bart, if Bart were like, hey, hey, hey. Come grab this stupid. But what gun. if his? What if someone's still alive and heard that? Yeah. What if Ken is Kent right. watching the struggle or something? Maybe he's on it. the front porch, so he was outside. But like, you don't know if if Kevin and um, uh, Trisha yeah, are actually true. dead yet. And it just baffles me. My last comment is that you are not some mobster. <laughs> You're not um, John Gotti. Yeah. Who can get away with shit for so long? Like you really. What goes through these people's head being like, I'm going to get a million bucks and live happily ever after? You're a 20-year-old punk. Yeah. People are real confident. People are really confident. It just baffles me. I'm like, we're, what, what about the other side? You don't even consider getting caught and that you right. may not ever see that money. You don't even, it doesn't even enter your mind. And I don't know how it doesn't because we hear these stories all the damn time. People are cocky. That's the that's really the cocky. Knowing like I've told so many people about this plan. So many people know this. The university obviously knows I'm not graduating. If this gets even a lick of media attention, which it was a huge story, someone's gonna catch wind of it over there. Um, I but I don't know. He maybe he thought like it's Sugarland. The police have probably never dealt with a murder. I would, but come on, a murder of a rich family in a yeah. small community. Come on, Bart. Watch one day one. Yeah. I just yeah. can't. Um, <laughs> I just would love to interview them. It just baffles me. These people are idiots and they're the worst. But you know who's not the worst? You listeners. What a good segue. Thanks, y'all. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. You're the best. People are the worst. Bye-bye. Yeah.